0: This is the Bartender Journey Podcast.
1: Hey, it's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 157. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending, cocktails, and spirits. Well, today we're going to talk about Pisco. And as you may know, Pisco is considered the national spirit of both Chile and Peru. And we've talked about Pisco before. We talked about Copa Pisco with Anne, Lu- Anne Louise Marquis, uh, and that's a Chilean. Pisco, uh, but today we're going to talk with Johnny Schuler about Pisco Portone. He's from Pisco Portone, and that's uh, Pisco from Peru. Pisco means bird,
2: small bird, little bird. Pisco.
1: Okay. I recorded this interview at Tales of the Cocktail uh, last July, and uh, it's been it's it's time to put it out there. So here we go. Johnny's got a great accent, huh? Well, Chile and Peru uh, both, as I said, claim their national spirit to be Pisco, and their national. Uh, cocktail to be the, the pisco sour. They uh, they are two two separate countries now, but they co they coexist independently of each other now and have their own kind of cultures and traditions. and And both Piscos uh, are are slightly different. But uh, for many years, both countries were under Spanish uh, under the rule of the Spanish Empire, and uh, so they were they were together at that time. They they both belong belong to the same uh, empire and they're in the same region. So the uh, so it makes sense that these two uh, countries that are now two different countries uh, have, have similar uh, cultures and similar spirits and si- similar cocktails. So our cocktail of the week this week, of course, will be the Pisco Sour, a delicious drink. And uh, it, well, here, I'll give you the recipe first. It's three ounces of Pisco. Yeah, three ounces. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, one ounce freshly squeezed lime juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup and one fresh egg white and then we're going to use some Angus stored bitters to uh, garnish it, actually. So this is an egg white drink, and, uh, you know, I talk about that a lot, and there's a lot of different methods to use. And uh, I, saw, I posted recently on Facebook an article that talked about the reverse dry shake. So rather than shaking dry, that is, without ice, first, then adding the ice, and then straining it into your glass, we just shake it with the ice first, strain it, get rid of the ice shake it again so this time it's uh you're you're shaking it a second time without ice and i really like this method actually uh because the the ice in the beginning chills things down so first of all you don't get that leak so uh when you do the dry shake first the the ingredients aren't that cold and a lot of times it doesn't make a good seal on your shaker and it makes a mess so that's a problem so that this actually cures that because you're first shaking it with the ice it's nice and cold when you strain the ice out uh, it's already cold and, and you actually i got a good good seal on my shaker the, for the for the dry shake. So as I said, uh, we we put the pisco, the lime juice, simple syrup, and the egg white all in the shaker with the ice. Shook that up really good, and then uh, I using the Hawthorne strainer strained it from one tin to the other, and then uh, the tin that had the ice in it. Got rid of the ice, uh, put it put it back together, and shook it uh, dry this time. And uh, it's real nice because now now you can pour it into the glass. And uh, I actually used the Hawthorne strainer to pour it into the glass, not a fine strainer. Because uh, that would lose a lot of foam that way, but uh, it might not even need the Hawthorne strainer this time. But but it worked well. Uh, I poured it with the Hawthorne strainer into the glass, and uh, the foam was kind of left behind. So I could, then I got rid of the Hawthorne strainer and was able to really uh, take that foam and get it on top and make make a nice little uh, head on top of it. So uh, I, li- I really like how it came out. There's a picture up on BartenderJourney.net on the uh, posting that goes along with this show, number one five seven, and you can see uh, see the results and. Uh, Uh, So what you do with this drink, put a couple of drops of Angostura bitters on top in the foam, and then you can use a knife to try to make a nice design. Mine could have came out better, I guess, but (laughs) but, uh, it it still looks pretty good. So that's our cocktail of the week, and uh, we always do a book of the week as well. And uh, I've been going through Jeffrey Morgenthaler's book, The Bar Book, again, and uh, I'm sure you've Heard me talk about this before. I love that book. And uh, I've been reading it cover to cover for a second time. So uh, we'll make that our book of the week uh, again, I guess. We probably did it before. One thing he talks about in the book is uh, the proper way to make simple syrup. And uh, I never really gave it that much thought. You know, I just kind of eyeballed it, which is uh, not ideal. But, uh, you know, I have this little digital scale here. So I actually tried what he recommends in the book is weighing your simple syrup, or weighing rather your water and your uh, sugar and making them exactly the same based on weight, Rather than volume or by just eyeballing stuff. So, uh, yeah, I made a good, a good batch of simple syrup for this recipe, and uh, I think it's, you know, that's, that's the best way to do it. Best practices, that's what we, uh, we've got to strive for, right? He also said your simple syrup will last longer if your container you're putting into is uh, really super clean. So, uh, either run it through your dishwasher or uh, you know, one way or another, pour boiling water into it, and that'll make it last longer never gave that any thought before either. Not that I was using dirty containers, but uh, <laughs> the better you sterilize it, the longer it's going to last. Morgenthaler said in the book he's met a lot of bartenders who make simple syrup wrong, and I just don't want to be one of those bartenders. All right, we're going to talk to Johnny Shuler, as recorded in the French Quarter of New Orleans during Tales of the Cocktail, uh, July 2015. We were at a lovely place called Kingfisher, and uh, they were generous enough to donate uh, a room that they weren't using during lunch for me to do some interviews. And as you'll hear, Angus Winchester joins us just in time to taste some pisco.
2: Let's begin with the definition of what uh, pisco or where pisco comes from. Pisco is a Quechua word. Quechua is one of the three official languages in Peru. Quechua was spoken by the Incas 2,000, 3,000 years Uh, ago. And in Quechua, pisco means bird, small bird. Oh. Little bird, Pisco. Okay. <laughs> there was a tribe of masons, a group of masons from the Nazca culture, that were called the Piscos, okay. the bird men, sort of, if you want to call it, that lived in this valley called the Valley of the Condor,
1: Okay.
2: which we'll later later turned into the Valley of the Birds, the Valley of Pisco. Huh. They gave the name to a container that if you look at it and you cut the neck of a Greek or Roman emperor, hmm. this one is exactly... Roman amphor. The Roman amphor just has a longer neck okay. and the two handles. Mm. We don't, which is broad shoulders and it tapers down to a round cone in the bottom exactly like us. These were called piscos, huh. right? This name Pisco and this tribe and these containers where they kept the Incas kept the chicha, which was a brew. The only brew they had, the alcohol they were drinking when there was chicha, which is a beer made from uh, corn. Okay. Right? Chicha Uh Chicha de jora, it's called. Okay. When the Spanish arrived, they brought the Vitis vinifera to America, more as a need of the priests than any of them, because there was no grapes, there were no wine, no wine, no mass on Sundays. You need the wine. You need the wine. It is on the drink. (laughs) So production became very abundant. But the name of Pisco gave the name to the Valley of Condor, El Valle de Pisco, to the river, Rio Pisco, to the village, Pueblo de Pisco, and then to the port, Port of Pisco. Oh, wow. And then, like Cognac, mm. like uh, Armagnac, like mm. uh, Jerez, mm. or like Port, the spirit exported from that geographical denomination was Only. called Pisco.
1: Only that area. Yeah. That, yeah. right
2: that Port gave yeah. the name to the product being exported. So that's where the name comes from, right? Okay. Well, once we establish that, what, what is Pisco? Yeah. Right. Pisco, I think, is one of the most beautiful expressions of any spirit made from what originally is a grape. Uh-huh. Right? The norm in Peru allows us to use eight different grapes. Seven are vitis viniferas, and one is a hybrid. Okay, The vitis viniferas are grape-making wines. Most of them are descendants of the, n- the grape that was brought originally by the Spaniards in 1557 from the Canary Islands, uh-huh. Listang Negra, which is your mission grape in California.
1: Ah, Okay.
2: Because it was traveled. This grape was brought by the missionaries. That's why it's called the mission grape. The missionaries traveled with that black grape, Mm. small roundish black grape. Mm -hmm. But in Bruit, for some reason, it seems that that grape fell in love with our climate, our terroir, our our water, our weather, our sandy soils, Mm. and began to produce enormous quantities, bunches of grapes. So it grows you know, as easily, huh? It, yeah? yeah, it grows easily. Okay. And as much that quebranta, which is the name of our grape, that okay. mission grape, yeah. quebranta means to break. The bunch grows so big that the stem that holds the bunch to the plant yeah. breaks. Quebranta.
1: It breaks from the weight.
2: By the weight of the grape, or the bunch of the grape, yeah. And then that's how you know
1: it's time that's to harvest? That's what they
2: call it. Well, because it's big, right? It's a big, yeah. right? It's, it's loaded with <laughs> sugar. It's very, the, very heavy. But the
1: plant is telling you now it's time yeah. to Hey, harvest. come on.
2: Cut me, right? Yeah. Pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. Take right. me to the bodega. So pisco is... Uh, people still don't have an understanding of it very well, but pisco no. is not a grappa. No. Grappas, and most of the... Well, orujo de Galicia, the sipuro in Greece, the Dresden in Germany... All countries that uh, make wine will recover some of their investment by re-fermenting and distilling the leftovers of mm-hmm. wine production. What are the leftovers? Pomace, Skins, mm-hmm. stems, and pits. Because they still have sugar. Yeah. You squeeze the juice, you took that to make wine, then you keep the stems and all that, and you put it into it a pit. yeast too, right? You, add yeast, oh, you add yeast, you have sugar there, you add uh-huh. yeast, you add water, you rehydrate, yeah. you ferment, you distill, and that's called grappa. Okay. All right? There are four products that take the grape, crush the grape, ferment the grape, make wine, and distill wine. Right. Cognac, okay. Armagnac, okay. Brandy de Jerez, and Pisco. Ah,
1: okay. Right. So it's more similar to brandy. It goes than than more it towards,
2: grape? yeah, it is a closer sister of a brandy than a long-lost cousin of a grappa, right? So once you have you have that done. Pisco goes into several singularities. And this is why I preach, Brian, openly. and says, this is the best distilled spirit from wine made in the world. And Mm everybody says, oh, my God. There goes Johnny Shooter speaking (laughs) again. You know, he's talking (laughs) on the top of his head. Why? Very simple. I'm not going to knock. Cognac is the king of... And Armagnac is the queen of Mm. brandies in the world, of course. They're wonderful. They're really wonderful. But they're made... They get to be cognac or armagnac, Brian, after, what, 20, 30 years of wood?
1: Yeah.
2: Pisco doesn't need wood. Uh,
1: yeah. It, so it's, no, it's never aged. It's
2: never aged. No. Okay. Why? Because we, our grapes are so wonderful mm-hmm. and naturally yeah. full of aromatic structures yeah. that we don't want to change, yeah. ruin, or alter Alter. Yeah. the natural totally natural result of what nature itself she gave us uh-huh. the earth the water and the sun of the cavallis that makes that
1: beautiful
2: why change it? So, mm. it so we're saying and I always say cognac is a fantastic spirit yeah. fantastic it, but it's made by wood mm-hmm. pisco is made by nature ah uh, that's great right yeah, nice. so that's the difference it's,
1: it's interesting, and it's, and it's such a um, cultural... Um,
2: for us, it's, yeah, for it's our heritage. Yeah, right. In Peru, is part of our culture. It's in our music, it's in our poetry, it's in our yeah. painting, it's in our dance. When somebody has a kid, we celebrate with Pisco, the yeah. newborn baby. Yeah. When you you have a deceased uh, yeah. family member, we'll weep and we'll cry with Pisco, right? Yeah. So it's always with us, and... Uh, and we love it. I think it's strangely enough, I think we're the only country that really venerates their own spirit, right? We love it. <laughs> yeah. And we will defend it, and we will say it's the best, and we, you know, we go around the world saying you have to taste going But it but is good. It is true. Yeah, it is true. It's true. And then, Brian, what, what is beautiful about, about this, this product is that it's very versatile, very mixable in the world of spirits, yeah. you know? which I think is the most important part. You guys over here... We're in a culture of, of, of cocktail making. We're at yeah. Tails today, yeah. which uh, is yeah. the um, yeah. most important event in the world yeah. for, for, for bartenders, mixologists, yeah. and, and even for restaurant owners, and even for producers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's a give-and-take meeting over here. You right. guys turned it into something beautiful. Yeah. We produce it, and you use it, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we need, we need each other, or we complement each other. Right. But I think what we have to convince the American market is that we are... First, the cleanest spirit, mm-hmm. because Pisco, the, sim- the singularities are, first, the one we talked about, there's no wood. Right. There's nothing exogenous, nothing that comes from outside Pisco that goes into it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's absolutely clean. Right. Even in our case, we only use natural wild yeasts for fermentation. There's no artificial yeasts. Mm. And then it's one of the very, very few products, Brian, that you can find on the American market that is distilled to proof. Is that Right. Gin, vodka, rums, yeah. tequilas, all are distilled to high proof. Yeah. They're very efficient, making yeah. their alcohols, right. their spirits. And then the natural thing to do, the normal thing to do, is to use demineralized water to bring it to bottle proof. Hmm. It's against the law in Peru to use water. Really?
1: But that's yeah. more labor-intensive. It's, it's more labor-intensive, yeah. it's more
2: expensive, Yeah, because it's pure wine.
1: And what what is the ABV
2: on this? The, in, in this the, La Caravedo is 41 82 proof, okay. and Porton is 86 proof.
1: Okay, and what's, what's the difference between these two? The, products? the
2: difference between these two is basically the process of where during the process of fermentation do I take it to the still. Mm. To make Pisco Porton, mm-hmm. which is called Mosto Verde, Mosto Verde means that we take the wine to the still when it's still sweet. Okay. Right? And a pisco puro not only means puro, that is one grape, but it also means puro, that is distilled when fermentation is finished. Zero sugar left in the wine. Ah, okay. Right? So, we have our own vineyards. We grow our own grapes. Wow. We have four vineyards. Beautiful. We grow five of the seven grapes we use. How big is that? Uh, we're about 180 hectares, uh, 360 acres. Okay. With a beautiful plantations, really, Those really very horses. pretty. We have beautiful horses and you'll drive a Peruvian Paso oh. horse, you ride a Peruvian Paso horse around. Really, really very nice. What's the really. Land? Is
1: it mountainous
2: or No no it's on it, the coast. It's, it's uh, a the desert. Coast. Ica is a desert a very desert and you go through these dunes and all of a sudden you come into this beautiful green valley. Because the whole coast of Peru is a desert. Okay. But only you have little greenery when you have a little brook that comes from the Andes, right? Uh-huh. And then you have a little valley, okay. and then you have desert again. A little valley, then you have desert again. A little valley, then you have desert again, uh-huh. right? So it's proper climate for grapes. You know? mm-hmm. It's only in the southern part. We have a denomination of origin that protects Pisco, and it says the regions where you can plant the grapes, the types of grapes, the types of copper pot stills you can use. Uh, the alcohol is 38 to 48 degrees. Of a percentage of alcohol, you can't go under 38, you can't go over 48 mm-hmm. You can't use anything but those grapes. You cannot use water. You cannot touch wood. So there's a it's lot hard. of, How do you do, yeah, pretty complicated. It's really well, pretty,
1: it, but it, that, you can't add water, but no. you have very, very stringent rules no. on, on the ABV. Yeah.
2: So, so you have to, to work the control. You have to work the field. You have to work the grapes, right? Huh. And then you want a lot of sugar in the grapes. You have more sugar, then you're going to overshoot 48. Right. So you have to be very careful, right? So it's, it's, a, right. it's, a, it's an art. It's, it's, it's pretty much an art to make a, to make a so. good pisco. But the difference between these two is I will harvest my grapes. I will bring them into the bodega. I will bring in first, destem them. Then I take them up about 40 feet high to some stainless steel tanks, to jacket it so I keep it cold because I want fermentation to start. Mm-hmm. Because in there I'm going to be macerating the juice for 24 hours with the skins. Because the aromatics are inside the skins, not in the meat, not in the fruit, right? So I want the aromatics, I want the the, the liquid to extract the aromatics, and then I will open a valve, and by gravity, I will fall into my fermenting tanks. Again, temperature controlled. Mm -hmm. So fermentation begins with a sugar level about 24.5 bricks that we harvested grapes. Destillería La Caravedo, in my case, I like to harvest my grapes at the end of summer, not at the beginning, like they mostly do in Peru. Because they have to hit the market because they have to sell. Mm. I don't. Mm. I can wait, right? Yeah. So I let my, my my grapes absorb all the sun of those three months of summertime that is blazing hot, but it's going to create some aromatics that is unbelievable on the yeah. grapes. So I'll wait. I'll harvest. Now we get my finally my juice into fermentation tanks. Mm-hmm. So it's a 24.5 degrees bricks, and it begins to ferment that levadura, that, um, what do you call it, uh, It begins to eat the uh, sugar. Yeah, the yeast. The yeast begins to eat the sugar.
1: Yeah.
2: And it converts it half a molecule of uh, carbon dioxide, the bubbles of champagne evaporate, and half a molecule of alcohol. The more sugar you have, the more alcohol you're going to make. Yeah. So when it reaches about five bome, which is about 20% sugar, I will open the tap, and I will take the wine sweet to the still. I'm making Porton Mosto Verde. Uh, Mosto verde, green must. The must is not mature. It didn't finish fermentation.
1: Okay.
2: Right? Yeah. Here. Then I close the tap and I let that fermentation finish. Mm. Then I open the tap and I take it to a still and I make la caravedo. Yeah.
0: All
2: right? But I only need, if I need 18 pounds to make a bottle of porton, I only need 10 pounds to make a bottle of caravedo. 18
1: pounds to make one bottle
2: right
1: yeah Um, (laughs) it's a lot
2: (laughs) it's a lot that's the price point yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that's a complication because we haven't used all the sugar but in turn a mosto verde gives you a fantastic feeling in the palate a roundness when you swallow an aromatics a structure on the nose that is absolutely beautiful yeah it explodes in the mouth but por la caravedo is the same thing but it is i would say um, an easier comparison, I hate comparisons, but is black and blue label. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's the same product, yeah. it's the same. This is a single malt Right. and this is a blended. Right, right. This has three grapes, this only has one. Okay. 80% of this is that. Mm-hmm. But this one is distilled when the wine is sweet, this one is when distilled when the wine is dry. Yeah,
1: interesting.
2: Right? Can we so, taste? Oh, of course we're going <laughs> to taste. We're going to start with this one so you so you get a feeling of the difference. Do
1: you, in? Do you know Angus Winchester?
2: No, how are you?
1: And Johnny Schuller? Angus yeah. Winchester. Thank you so much. Would you like to join us
0: to say some pizza? Uh, Chilean or Peruvian? Careful. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Careful. If <laughs> so I drank it, it was in Peru, then in Chile. Good. Like, <laughs> would, you
1: you like, a, would you like to join us? Delta glass? Yeah. Um, we could use hard, this one. This, one, glass. one.
0: Glass. this is a clean glass i right, I'll, I'll drink I out of this one. No,
2: no, because it t- changes the, the yeah. aromatics. See if you can get... Sit down. Please, please
1: join us. Thanks. thanks.
0: Thank you. First time I drank it was in... I was watching cockfighting in Lima. Oh, nice. Uh, and we were drinking it with tiger's uh, milk. Tiger milk. So shot of ceviche juice, shot of pisco, shot of ceviche juice, All right. backwards and forwards Cheers, like that.
2: <laughs> Okay, so this is quebranta. This is a pisco puro. And puro, Brian, has two definitions. Puro means pure, Mm -hmm. but pure means that it's a monovarietal, right, of one grape. Yeah. Puro, the Quebranta, from the Quebranta grape, which is that grape that came from from, Canary Islands in 1557, brought by the Spaniards. Quebranta. Mm -hmm. But puro also means that it's distilled when the wine is dry. Okay. Completely dry, Mm -hmm. right? So, I need about, I don't know, about some good 10 pounds of cabernet grape to make this, right? 10 pounds to make one bottle. Amazing. And 18 to make this one. So. And 18 to make <laughs> this. 750s, right? Any oh, yeah, sports? hold on, Tom. Yes, yes. no? Okay. okay. <laughs> right. I like
1: that. Yeah, it's wonderful. It? Well, we can't talk about pisco without talking about the pisco sour.
2: <laughs> well, pisco sour, yeah. Pisco sour is the iconic, the, the mm. emblematic drink of uh, Peru, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, invented, believe it or not, by an American. Is that right? <laughs> El Gringo Morris was a guy from the United States, an American, who worked in a mining company up in the Andes, in the about 4,000 meters above sea level. An accountant. I got tired of the altitude, I guess, because the altitude kills you. Mm-hmm. And he came back to Lima and opened a bar and called it the Morris Bar. Uh. And the Morris Bar became the reference. He had a book, guest book, that we have a copy of. Because his grandson still lives in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Right. and he had the original book. and that book served as a um, message book for friends. Hey uh, Angus, I just went uh-huh. through Lima. Today is the 17th of July. If you make it before October, mm-hmm. I will be in uh-huh.
1: Chicago right? I'm taking a ship over
2: to Chicago. Uh-huh. and the messages were all written in this in Morris's Bar logbook right? and we have the logbook. But I guess this was eight, 1918. World War II had finished. And I guess he needed whiskey for his whiskey sour. Yeah. And there was no whiskey. Mm-hmm. So he needed something to grab and some liquor. And I guess he grabbed into Pisco. And he created the Pisco sour. Beautiful. About 1918. I think it's a wonderful drink. I think it's p- a very well-made pisco sour is a fantastic drink. As a matter of fact, last Saturday, I was in my house. Last weekend was the National Pisco Championships, and where I'm very proud of I'll, I'll share with you this later. But I was in my house with a bunch of friends. There was, they sleep all day, slept all because we had dinner. And we had, I love I I to cook. I'm a cook. I'm a restaurateur. And uh, I said, well, look, next, tomorrow at noon, 12 o'clock sharp, we're going to start with the pisco sour laboratory. What the what? <laughs> pisco sour laboratory at twelve o'clock noon. We have to define the exact ratios for a pisco sour, <laughs> and we start two one one, two two one, two one two, two one. So what was it? T- what one. <laughs> well, in my case, four one one one. Okay. Four of pisco, one of lime juice, and one of uh, simple syrup, homemade simple syrup. Yeah. Egg white, ice, and no bitters. Okay. For me, no bitters on a pisco sour because it kills the aroma of the pisco. Mm. Bitters is good when the pisco is bad, yeah. Or when mm-hmm. the smell of the pisco, the pisco has too too little alcohol. You're using eighty proof pisco, then the overpowering aroma of pisco sour is egg white. Mm. Bitters on top, mm. you kill the egg white, right? To, mm. to sort of camouflage. Yeah, uh, yeah. But if the pisco sour is perfect, I don't think it needs bitters. Mm-hmm. But what I want to drink is pisco sour. Right?
0: Shaken or shaken? With, no. Blended with like two ice cubes. See yeah. what I've seen that done before. Uh,
2: in my restaurants, and Angus, I, I, I have to serve. My rest, one of my restaurants sits 800 people. Mm. Wow. And if I get an order, uh, and, and uh, Raul the Barman gets an order, hey, 20 piscos sours, <laughs> he's not going to shake. <laughs> we blend it and we wham! Yeah. And yeah. in three minutes, yeah. we've got 20 piscos sours. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom, done, finished. The problem with a, with a blender is that it, uh, it emulsifies the egg white like too much and it makes yeah. it sort of like a meringue. Yeah. And I always say in a restaurant, when I go to a restaurant, I order a pisco sour, and the head is that size. <laughs> and I said, look, tell your barman that the meringue is for dessert. Yeah. Bring me a pisco sour. <laughs> right? So this is, this, is, this is what I do. And, but I think a little pisco sour is a lovely, lovely cocktail. Oh, but well, today… We'll a pisco sour. In Peru, we have more than just a pisco sour. We have a a Capitan. We have a uh, a, a drink called... um, Capitan is a Peruvian Manhattan. Oh, yeah? But it's not new. It's back from the 40s. Right? So it's not something that we just picked up from from a cocktail competition or something. Mm. Now, this is a blend of three different grapes. 80% of this is this grape. Right. But then I have Torontel, which is an arom- aromatic that has aromas of citrix. It's a muscat. And I have Italia, which is another muscat. Italia, one is it, uh, Muscat Alexandrie, Italia, and the other one is Moscato Tonel. Quebrante is a black grape, and the other two are white grapes, right? Mm. Now, the blend is my choice. I am the master taster, distiller of... Orton, Carvedo, Freire, And you're blending different. the
1: grapes before distillation, yeah? No. No. Okay.
2: No. Because I believe, Brian, again, that they are wrong in doing that. Mm. He said, no, because they integrate. No. Grapes are like your kids, like your brothers. Each one has its own time. And, for instance, the uh, albilla matures about mid-January. And the Quebranta matures uh, towards the end oh, of March. Gotcha. So if you yeah. harvest them both in January, yeah. you haven't allowed the Quebranta to develop completely in right. year. So what I do is I have Shirley that works my vineyards and Carmen that works my distillery, Metro de Che. So they have to fight it out. Hmm. But Johnny says you harvest at 24.5. And if it's not 24.5, you don't harvest. Pisco produces harvest at 19, 19 and a half. I don't want, I don't want a city. I want sugar because alcohol comes from the sugar. Yeah. And I want pure alcohol, yeah. right? So yeah. my spirit has to be clean. So I have that that. So I'd rather a cholar blend when my piscos are ready. And as I do have four vineyards, two in the northern part of the valley and two in the southern part, about half an hour drive, one, two from mm-hmm. each from each other. They're two different terroirs. Cool. Yeah. So, the Quebranta from here is different from the Quebranta from here yeah. in timing. So, when we harvest over here, they will be harvested, they will be destemmed, they will be macerated and fermented on their own. Okay. And these ones, when they're ready, they will be when fermented on their own next to the next tank. To it. And I will try, and once I say both are ready, right, got then they, they make the pisco. Interesting. I begin to assemble. So, I go Tuesdays to the distillery, it's about 300 kilometers south of Lima. And what Carmen has for me, has 30 or 40 glasses Mm. with each tank inside. And I go, this is ready, this is ready. No, this is not ready, keep it out. This is not ready. This is ready, and boom, 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 boom. And then we begin. All the ones that are ready of Quebranta, okay, we can put them together. All the Toronteles that are ready, we can put them together. All the Italians that are ready, we can put them together. And then we begin to process how much of each one of the different grapes go into the blend. This one has three. Okay. This year's, I'm not going to tell anybody except you, Brian. It might <laughs> have five. Nobody's yeah. listening. Hey, cover the mic. We're going to have five. Okay. Because I have a Muscat, Moscatel, that is absolutely gorgeous, and I just won the gold medal in the national. So I want to put it in there as a little present. Hey, <laughs> try this. So this is a Mosto Verde. Now you're going to see the different impression in, in the nose. Much more aromatic. Very different want to see the roundness in the mouth.
1: Beautiful.
2: right?
0: A little high proof.
2: This is 41, this is 43. Okay. Yep. 80 to 82 and 86 proof, right? Sure. But much smoother in the palate, much mm. in the throat, it's much rounder. The, the fruit, and fruit, fruit comes I through, I think. The, the fruit mouth, it's more filling, it's more, but it's the 18 pounds of grapes they're going this.: right? 18 pounds.
1: Uh, thank you
2: so much. i right. a little over. My pleasure. I
1: really appreciate you coming. All the country. And, and uh, it was a pleasure to meet you, sir. Oh, great. Thank you for the
0: interview. Thank you. Pleasure thank you. Well, nice to meet you, sir. Nice uh, to thank to meet you. Uh, weirdly, I had to do uh, I did Peru first, then I did Chile. I had to judge pisco sours in Chile. 24 a day for five days. <laughs> so, your little lab. I saw all of those different variations, <laughs> from
2: egg white, you you know egg white, shape, and you, you know the difference, the basic difference between the two piscos. Hmm. They use water, we yeah, cannot. Yeah. We're just so to prove they're not. Yeah. They can capitalize, we cannot, Yeah. right? So, so it's a different product, but yeah. it eh, problem, but it doesn't matter. Thank you again, really right. appreciate it. My pleasure.
1: Well, that was a fun conversation with Johnny, and I hope you learned something about Pisco. I know I did. And uh, Angus showed up there, we, we ran a little behind schedule, and uh, Angus showed up there to to record an interview with me, which was actually for the other podcast I do, called Tales of Tales, and that's for the Tales 365 members, And uh, but I can give you a little snippet of that interview I did with uh, Angus, because he's a really interesting guy, Angus Winchester. He runs a program called Bar Matrix, and if you don't know anything about him, you should definitely look him up but uh here here's a little snippet of uh my interview with angus
0: we always say i mean a you are a salesman yeah. but a sale is a transfer of enthusiasm as well as backed up with facts but it's the world's smallest small business yeah. when you're standing at your well there it's like running a shop somebody's paid your stock somebody's paid your rent all you have to do is turn this product around and obviously the quicker you do it the more efficiently you do it the better you sell it the more money you'll make, and everyone benefits from that point of view. But let's say there are so many interesting things, and we just, we honestly believe that owning a bar and restaurant is not stressful, that working as a manager in hospitality should not be 80 hours a it, week. So yes, we, thank we, you. We, can <laughs> give, we honestly want I've to give you it. 10 hours of your week back, you know, more than that, because nobody works well for 80 hours, but if you could spend an extra 10 hours with your wives, kids, dogs, girlfriend, golf coach, bed, yeah. whatever, you would be a better manager but also discussing the difference between managers and leaders. That this industry has so many managers and so few leaders and that leadership can be coached.
1: Angus is just such a cool, interesting guy, smart guy and uh Really respect that dude. So uh, stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the end of the show. But first I want to tell you, uh, next week I'll be headed to uh, Baltimore for the Bar Institute event. And uh, our local chapter of the USBG has gotten a bus and uh, got us. we're taking a party bus sponsored by Johnny Walker Black down to Portland, not to Portland, to uh, Baltimore uh, for the Bar Institute event. And uh, it started in Portland as Portland Cocktail Week. And now they're taking it on the road and they're going all over the country this year. Uh, So this is the first one of the year. But uh, I'll post up on the events page of bartenderjourney.net. And they'll be coming to a spot closer to you if you're here in the United States. Um, and hopefully, uh, I, I encourage you strongly to, to get out there and uh, and check it out. Uh, but anyway, the point I was trying to get to, uh, we're leaving on the bus Sunday morning, coming back Wednesday evening. So uh, if you don't hear from me next week, don't be too surprised. I'm going to try to get a show done uh, before I go. But if that doesn't happen uh, i'll be working all weekend of course and uh so <laughs> i don't know if that that's gonna happen so you may not hear from me next week but i'll be back in two weeks uh, with all my adventures from baltimore and th- like i said don't forget to go to bartenderjourney.net on the events page and uh see where the next stop is for the uh bar institute events but uh well i can just tell you uh they're going to be in phoenix they're going to be in austin texas they're going to be in miami They'll be in Portland and then they'll be in New York in the fall. So uh, go to bartenderjourney.net on the events page and you'll see the dates for those and hopefully one of those is close enough to you that you can uh, make plans to go. Hey don't forget the deadline for the Copper and Kings cocktail competition has been extended to April 15th. so uh, you still have some time you have a little bit of time left to enter that contest and if you go to bartenderjourney.net on the uh, on the competitions page, you'll see info there about how to enter that one. While you're at bartenderjourney.net, why not go over to the tip cup page and help support this show? And I'll tell you what, I got something special for you this week. The first person into the tip cup with a uh, donation of more than $30 gets a flask. A flask, well, it's not, it's even better than that. It's, it's a Telemordu uh, book and it looks like a Bible (laughs) and you open up the flask or you open up the book and inside it's hollowed out and there's a telemordu flask inside. It's pretty cool. So uh, first person into the... Oh, United States only, please, because I got to send it to you. So uh, let's say uh, first person into the tip cup after this is released. This episode is released with a uh, donation of $30 or more gets that flask uh, book thing. It's really cool. I should put a picture. I'll try to put a picture up that a picture of that up on the show notes that go along with this show number 157 if you can get over to iTunes and search for bartender journey and leave uh, ratings and reviews that would be awesome you can leave up to five stars five stars is the most you can give and give as many as you like but five is the most and you can uh, write something nice be like all the way in Boise who wrote something nice uh, I really appreciate your nice comments so uh, alright let's get to our toast Here's to great ambition, about which people rant. It makes you want to do the things that everyone knows you can't. Cheers, we'll see you next time on Bartender Journey.
0: With an eye on December 5th, work is being rushed in distilleries and
2: bottling works. Thousands are being called back to work in plants of allied industries. At least 500,000 new jobs are predicted as the result of repeal.